Hello and welcome to Cult Picks Radio, WCPX 66.6, playing your favourite trailers from the 80s, 70s, 60s, 50s, 40s, 30s and 20s. With me, your host, Django Nudo. Et moi, je suis le vendeur de pornographie <laughs> ou euh, <laughs> le smut peddler. Ah, monsieur, oui, vous êtes française. Oui, it's a little hint for today's show. Ah, uh, yes, we are freshly back from um, the glamour and the glitz and the fun of the Cannes Film Festival. So tell me, smut peddler, what was the favorite film that you saw in Cannes this year? This year, oh, I can tell you that I didn't watch any movies at all in Cannes because I was busy, <laughs> as well as you, to sign new contracts for new films for or, or old films for cult picks. Yes, very true. We were there working hard, not at all drinking, not at all enjoying ourselves. I actually managed to watch one film, Yay. Um, very obscure Ukrainian film, but hey, at least I've got one more than you. You, you did, and yeah. But we did work hard, and we had a, a very big announcement. So shall we begin by retelling people who didn't see the article in Variety, exclusive, or the press release on Cultpix, what it was that we were bringing to Cannes? Indeed. Cultpix has now uh, come up with an initiative that we call the European Genre Film Foundation, which aim is to preserve restore hang on. Promote, promote and research and research uh, vintage uh, genre or cult films especially european ones and um, we have a couple of things we want to do within this and and one is of course to find uh, out and research these films and mm. especially starting off with trying to find out the equivalents in Europe of Doris Wishman in the US, i.e. cult movie, exploitation movie directors who are female. Yes, and not just directors, but filmmakers in general. Yes, so um, producers as well and, and other initiators. So, And we're also looking at crowdfunding a 4K scanner yeah. for doing our own um, scanning and restoration. Yeah. And it should be emphasized that although you know, we're, we're not wearing the cult picks hat doing this, this is a non-profit foundation that is separate from cult picks. And we've got some great members of the board like um, uh, Lisa Petrucci is on there, obviously a friend of cult picks, but we had also people like Professor Kate Egan, um, who is one of the big uh, experts in this field. Yeah. And several other people who, yeah, friends yes. of cult picks. Yeah, I mean, we, for instance, we have uh, Mikko Aroma from the Night Visions Film Festival in Helsinki, who's also the the chairman of, of the Nordic Genre Invasion, and Gerald mm. Duchossois, who is the uh, person who's in charge of Cannes Classics in, at the Cannes Film Festival. And I mean, the, the, the main idea behind this is that the film institutes in all of the countries are restoring films and they're doing a great job, but they rarely uh, look at, at this type of film and they mainly go for the, mm. for the art house films. So we, we will start from bottom up instead of top down. Yes, 
And a shout out, of course, we have had uh, examples of cult films that have been restored. Um, the Swedish Film Institute did Terror in the Midnight Sun and other films together with us. And we should also say that this is modeled on the brilliant work that's being done by Martin Scorsese's Film Foundation and AGFA, the American Genre Film Archive, who have restored films such as Night of the Living Dead in the case of the Film Foundation or She Freak in the case of AGFA. So there is some work being done, but there are so many other films out there which have not been restored, scanned, and risk vanishing forever because they're uh, slowly withering away in the cans. Absolutely. So this is something we're proud of, and we announced this in Cannes, and at the same time we had our first anniversary uh, celebration all rolled into one specific cocktail party Yes, so there were people there celebrating. We had congratulations coming from afar, um, including from Agfen and the Film Foundation, other friends who are super excited about this initiative. But in between that, before and after, we were busy uh, down in the guts of the Palais building. Far away from the red carpet is what's known as the Marché du Film, or the film market. But we did have some good meetings there for some real quality films. Um, we're not going to mention them by name because we're still waiting for for the contract to be signed, but we had a super good meeting with a uh, British distributor with a fantastic catalogue of titles. And we're also looking at expanding a deal we already have with another European distributor. And if we can get hold of half of these titles, I think we're going to make our Cult Picks members very, very happy. And we've we've been saying for a while that we need to get more. Um, we have a lot of great American cult and classic films, but we need more European films. And that's what we're hoping to remedy with these deals and other deals as well, including ones that we've already flagged up here, yeah. um, such as the Danish Film Institute. Yeah, absolutely. With those bedside films, we are now about to, to release all of them on the mm. world of streaming. Yeah. yeah. Um, on a final note of Cannes for me, the one film I didn't get to see, which I did want to see, is obviously David Cronenberg's um, Crimes of the Future. Yeah. Uh, but tickets were like hen's teeth, very difficult to get hold of. Yeah, absolutely. That's the one I, I really wanted to, to see as well. However, we're looking back not forward. Exactly. Which brings us to Severin. Severin Films, yes. Severin Films is, well, they are our new friends. We we had never met them live, but we were very happy to have David and Carl at our cocktails, so that was really nice to have faces to the names and, and people you've been emailing with back and forth because there's a lot of that going on. And uh, we have a deal with, I think it's 10 films, 12 films from them. And we yes. are now starting to to uh, release them, um, and it's it's a mix. There are a couple of films that we are holding back on because there will be a new big theme week. We don't have to divulge that, but that that's going to be fun. They have some crucial, very important films from that. But mm. um, well, first of all, um, we we have three documentaries, and we put them together in a little, as you put it, the shock you docu theme week. <laughs> which I love, and um, those are, uh, one is actually, I don't even know if you should call it a documentary, but it's called The Real Bruce Lee from 77, yeah. which is a mix of, of, of fiction and, and um, old like scenes from, from Bruce Lee films, but also free, mm. f- featuring Bruce Lai, and I think it's Bruce <laughs> Lee or something like that. There were a bunch of them. They, they all wanted to you know, capitalize off, off uh, Bruce Lee after his death. 
Yeah, I was going to say this is made in 77, so it would have been shortly after the, the great master's death, isn't it? Yes, so yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, also in, in, in our own archive, we have a couple of 35mm prints with Bruce Lie and, and the like, mm. but, but they all, they're all called Bruce Lee something, the title of the film. So this yes. is an obscurity that's well worth watching that Severin managed to dig up. But then we have yep. two documentaries um, by David Gregory, who's one of the founders and, and the leadership of uh, Severin Films. And this is something, I mean, normally we say that we don't have anything newer than 1992, like 30 it's years ago. It's a lie. Yeah. We do. We do. Because some of them are contemporary or modern documentaries about older films. Like Into the Jungle, the making of um, Cannibal Holocaust, yeah. um, clip of which I rewatched in Cannes, funnily enough. Um, but yes, we do do backwards-looking documentaries about the cult films of years of the past. And um, one of them is film-specific, which is about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Shocking Truth uh, from 2000. And the other one, which is even more a favorite of mine, is Ban the Sadist Videos exclamation mark uh, from 2005 which looks at the video nasties and this is connected to um, the two other films that we have up in the previous week uh, which is uh, horror films a day of judgment from 1981 and suffer little children from 1983 so these are though these are those video nasties and we do have other video nasties on the site and i'm wondering Will we one day make it a theme week, or should we just put up a subgenre of that if we don't have it already? I think that's, I think we'll have to be strict about this. If we do do the video nasties, it has to be the ones off the list. And there was a very specific list in 1980s UK of of the films that the uh, tabloids had it in for. But these two films, A Day of Judgment, American from '81. It's a, it's a, well, it's a, it's it's a costume film set in the 30s with a mysterious figure wielding a scythe, and you can imagine that 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 gives you some pretty bad wounds. Mm. And the other one I watched a bit of, uh, "Suffer Little Children" from '83. That's shot on video, and it even, I mean, even even if Severin are, is a company that's really really into you know quality scans and and high mm. quality and hd whatever this really looks like shit from the word go and it must have done yes. that when it came out but but at the same time the fact that it's shot on video um gives it not an authentic look because it's obviously still faked but in some ways it makes more horrific because it does seem like occasionally like news footage when you see the um yes. you know, spoiler children who are stabbed and bleeding yeah and on the back side of the cover uh Severin themselves have written many of the children involved in its production were never seen nor heard from again <laughs> and they had such talent such promise yeah. you know. <laughs> but you have to love that kind of copy i think oh big it up That's definitely right. yeah. you gotta pull them in so Next up, we've got uh, five films from our good friends at Echelon. Now, we previously had a theme week with the original um, 
five, six films from them, which was the fantasy, Flesher fantasy. Mm. This time it's more of a mixed bag. There isn't any one overreaching theme. So let's run through them uh, in order that we put them up. First up was Frankenstein meets the Space Monster from 1965 also known as Duel of the Space Monsters. Yes, and there is no Frankenstein in sight. No, this is one of those <laughs> pet peeves that horror purists will point out that Frankenstein was the doctor. Yeah. Or do you pronounce it Frankenstein? <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's the creature against yeah. the space monster. but yeah. And not even that, because the creature here is, 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 is frankly a robot. So it's just yes. strange. And the plot is strangely familiar of, of uh, Mars need, Needs Moms, the Disney film, the huge, huge film flop. So not that the plot is very important. Uh, it's the poster you got to love. And the poster is amazing of yeah. this Frankenstein yeah. monster and, and you know, it, worth it for that. Uh, so uh, Mars has been destroyed by an atomic war and uh, wiped out the planet's women. So there's one surviving Martian princess, how lucky, mm. uh, who has to go to Earth and kidnap more women for um, rebreeding the population. Uh, of all of Earth, they chose to land in Puerto Rico um, to harvest or collect up these women. And um, there's more um, intergalactic problems when a NASA space capsule um, is shot down. It's being manned by an android. And then this android goes in a terror spree on the island um, because his brain has been damaged while the Martians raid beaches and pool parties because where else are they going to find women for Mars? It was originally conceived um, as silly as it sounds. It was meant to be a, a comedy parody um, take on the whole sci-fi horror exploitation genre. By 65, it was starting to become self-referential. But the producers, um, though they saw the funny side of it, they still wanted a serious horror film. Uh, so it's it's a bit of a Frankenstein's monster itself in terms of how they uh, put it together. Mm. And um, so one of the things that didn't make it into the thing was the uh, Colonel Frank Saunders, who was the Frankenstein. He was partly transplanted together from other human parts, including the legs of a deceased tap dancer. <laughs> So he would automatically start dancing as soon as he heard the tune Sweet Georgia Brown. Very Rocky Horror, this. Oh, Lord. Yes, and I, indeed. I, I, and hopefully this is still can be found somewhere, but um, maybe it's ripe for a stage musical. It's already got some music in it, not Rocky Horror style music, but actually uh, a very good tune, mm. which had this film been more of a hit, this tune could have actually charted much higher than the obscure one-hit wonder that it was. And it, But it was actually given an award uh, by film historians turned conservatives, Harry and Michael Medved, right, yeah. who did a book called Son of the Golden Turkey Awards. And the award for this one was Golden Turkey for, quote, most ridiculously inane rock and roll lyrics used in a motion picture. And if the 
film before didn't have a Frankenstein monster. The next one doesn't have a monster, but it's called the Magnetic Monster. I wonder if people lost for their money back when they realized that you know this monster is a bunch of sparkling or sparks coming off of electricity, a big light bulb. But someone uh, could explain to them that it's a proverbial monster, you know. <laughs> it's a magnetic monster. Kinda. I'm sure there had already been an atomic monster, but this is a magnetic monster. Yeah. Um, and it's a bit of a Frankenstein film in terms of it, the film itself being put together by different parts. Uh, so f the film was partly created by using stock footage uh, from a underground magnetodynamo, uh, which is a thing creating the sparks from German mm. science fiction thriller Gold, or Gold, as we say in yeah. German, from 1934. Wow. Uh, and uh, although it was credited to Kurt Siodmak, who was the director of Smart Peddler. 13 Demon Street. Also found on Cult Picks. Yep. Actually directed by, I'm reading here, Herbert L. Strock. Uh, and he was hired uh, basically because he was a very good editor. So given that this is a film that was going to be cut together from older bits in true Roger Corman style, uh, he was seen as the perfect man for this. Yep. Now... Uh, the plot, as far as is, things are turning magnetic. Something is very wrong. And agents from the Office of Scientific Investigation are set to investigate this. And they trace the source of the magnetism to a flying scientist up in the sky, dying of radiation poisoning. And they have um, a limited amount of time to stop this new element, dubbed seranium. Seranium, um, yes, of course. Seranium, yes. you've heard of seranium. I'm always afraid of seranium when I go to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> so it's growing uh, uncontrollably, doubling in size, absorbing energy and turning things into metallic objects. And so they have 24 hours to destroy it before it grows so big that it's going to throw Earth out of its orbit. And a little sideline here. That's kind of interesting because that's the theme in The Day the Earth Caught Fire. Mm. That the whole planet is out of orbit or a slanting. So they have to do something about it by blowing off an atomic bomb to get it back in orbit. Oh, yes. So this was that'll, popular. That'll sort it out. It was always the atom bomb, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. It's a fairly... Um, yeah, innocent um, film in terms of obviously there are no monsters, but it's a rare film where scientists race against time in terms of just you know, sorting out a bit like a film like the Andromeda Strain. Mm. Um, so it's uh, a little bit of um, sort of MacGyver, it's a bit of a science lesson in terms of explanations for uh, theories and principles of physics and earth science. Um, so it's educational, yeah. not in a bad way. Uh, but it makes the most of a limited budget, and um, it's also funny in terms of it. It's obviously a bit naff. It's more than you know. It's coming up to seventy years old, but you know, having a terminal computer called the brain, mm, uh, a data mainframe called Maniac, um, silly but believable. But it's a good vintage classic kind of. It it, it puts the science into science fiction. Yeah, and also the sets are great. I mean, the, the sort of labor laboratories you always love in these old movies. Oh, yes. And the trailer doesn't spare on the hyperbole in terms of hyping it up so much so that you forget 
to look for that monster. That's actually not a monster, it's just magnetic field. These two scientists risked their lives to move the new titanic element to the one place where they might fight it. I'm going to set the machine and leave in time. So the men. But she isn't built to take such a load. She'll break up. Dr. Benton, our only hope is that she'll break that element before she breaks herself. This one man stood between the Earth and doom. Only he dared face the terror of the monstrous thing that had suddenly come alive. A cosmic Frankenstein that threatened to engulf the world and hurl it into outer space. From magnetic attraction to female attraction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, Hot. and we're going fast forward, what? Yep. 20 more? 25 years, years. Yeah. 25 years into the future. We're right at the edge of the 80s and significantly coming hot on the heels of Animal House. This is HOTS, or H-O-T-S, 1979, a sex comedy with a very, very distinguished cast. Because they're all Playboy Playmates. Mm, technically not all of them, but no. plenty of them. Yeah. So there are three formal Playboy Playmates. So it's Susan Keiger, Keiger uh, who was Miss January 77, Pamela Bryant, April 78, and Sandy Johnson, uh, practically ancient from from 74. She was old by uh, then, yes. Basically <laughs> 25, something like that. Gosh. Uh, and although she technically wasn't a playmate, Casey Winkler... Uh, she was, however, the finalist in 1979 for the 25th anniversary issue of Playboy. And that's not all. There are more female delights, such as... Lindsay Bloom, the former Miss USA of 1972. Mm. And sexploitation actress Angela Eames. And uh, Lisa London, making her film debut before becoming a genre movie veteran. Wow. What a cast. Now, this film has become very popular on our social media feeds for the simple reason that we put up the uh, iconic picture of the cast appearing in the very tight white t-shirts with the H-O-T-S logos on it and the red-orange shorts. Now, you're not going to believe what it is that the popular belief is that this inspired. I can believe it. And I think I I know what H-O-T-S is short for. Ah, see, and this is one of the running mysteries of the film. Mm. But um, we should don't give away spoiler. Okay, okay. But the hots uh, is believed to have um, morphed into the Hooters uniform. There you go. Have you ever been to a Hooters, Smart Peddler? No, I have. Uh, I've missed out on that. I've, I've only seen it in tons and tons of American movies and TV series that everyone's mm. snigger, sniggering and saying, oh, "We should go to Hooters." Or yeah. Whatever. yeah, I've actually been to one, and okay. I can tell you the the burgers are incredibly mediocre, mm. but the waitresses put a little smiley face on your bill. Okay, so. I'm sure that so if, it's all you know, their t-shirts, yeah, if their t-shirts and hot pants uh, weren't enough to make you want to tip them, then that smiley yeah. is. And it's to me, it sounds like something that's probably going out of vogue pretty soon. It's definitely not a something that I think fits the current um, millennial or Gen Z agenda. No. So not that no. we're going to get dragged into that. No. But um, going back to the hot, so it's about a. Um, uh, campus comedy, as we know, 
Uh, it's a group of freshmen at Farrenville uh, University, um, shortened good old FU. And after failing to join the PI soror, TPI, um, and being ridiculed, uh, ridiculed in public uh, by the soror's president, they set out on a mission of revenge to form their own sorority, to be known as HOTS. Right. And having the sole aim of stealing the rival sorority boyfriends. And lots of antics involving wet t-shirts and uh, other scenes uh, ensuing. Yes, I mean we we could actually spoil it by saying you 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 see the the it's not just the wet t-shirts. The t-shirts are off also. Yes. So yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, you get you get plenty of bang for your buck there. Yeah. Now you actually saw this film before we put it up on Cult Picks. Yes, we we own a 16 millimeter film print of the film. So and it, and it's a, it's a funny old film that's really so so you know just like its era. I would say it's you, perfect. You've you've never screened it for me. No, it's mine, all mine. <laughs> we will but watch it someday, my friend, on the big screen. Yes. Uh, no, I do want to see it, and, and I'm sure I have an extra appeal for that. Um, What's interesting is that uh, one of the actresses in it, um, Sandy Johnson, uh, the one who posed uh, the oldest of the Playboy Playmates uh, from 1974, she did that. And then she got into acting um, where she said that she um, did five films um, where she went you know, topless, uh, both in 78 and 79. And um, they were all... St- Teen sex comedies, with one exception of a very, very famous uh, horror film from 1978. Do you that's know right. which one? She was in Halloween. Yes, and that kind of cemented her reputation, I think, more than uh, any of the other films. Um, so she was interviewed about it in a um, podcast. How did you become Playboy's Playmate of the Month, June 1974? Well, I was a model before that. I was a a clothes model and I did runway modeling and things like that. And then my, uh, my dad got very sick with cancer and we needed money for his treatment. And I realized that I was working at like fast food and that wasn't going to get the money we needed. So a friend of mine said, well, maybe you should apply to Playboy. So I said, okay, so I did, and they they selected me. So I was very lucky, and I I did make enough money to um, help get some meds for my father. We've come to the eight, 80s, end of the 80s, and My Mom's a Werewolf. Yay, which, what a great title. <laughs> Hooray. Which in, which in Swedish was dubbed? Uh, my Mother is a Monster, something like that. no. It's oh, you're Yeah, a beast of a mother. Yeah, which so I think should be a. It's very strange that they didn't use the word werewolf because that's something that should be bankable. No, it's, exactly, it's a creature for. So not sure why they did that, mm. but um, it's a iconic poster again. Um, if you haven't seen it, if you've seen her, if you think you've seen hairy legs before, wait till you see the shavings of this one. Mm. My mom's werewolf. So. This one came hot on the heels of a bunch of successful 80s werewolf films. Obviously, An American Werewolf in London. Yeah. 
and its sequels and Teen Wolf. That's right, yeah. But thinking about it, I don't I can't recall that many um female werewolf films ever. No, there aren't many of them. We we actually recently bought a print of a Spanish one uh that that I hope we could get someday for 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 cult picks. Yeah. That looks really cool. But do... apart from that, no, not many. I mean, those teen teen werewolf films from the 50s, I don't be- believe there were any women in them. No, and we do have quite a few werewolves on cult, werewolf films mm. on cult picks. In fact, it was our first ever theme week. Yeah. Werewolf, werewolf. Right. Yep. Uh, and this is everything from silent um, classics to um, a, a werewolf in Washington, the werewolf of Washington, and similar, but all all very uniquely male. So at least this one has um, something different to it. And it's obviously, like a lot of things in the 80s, a bit of a silly uh, comedy, a bit of a horror. So the plot is, if you need to know it, uh, this a frustrated housewife who goes to a pet shop for buying a flea collar. And there she is pretty much seduced, or at least taken out to lunch by this um, pet shop owner who ends up then... Um, effectively hypnotizing her, getting her back to flat, and biting her toe, which is enough to infect her. Biting her toe is such a, it's a discreet way. Yeah, I I saw the picture. And I was thinking, was this before or after that? You know, Fergie foot incident. Yeah, which was I think it was before in the 80s one. or after Tarantino? Yeah, um, definitely <laughs> could have been the foot fetish yeah. thing at work there. So she gets infected with a werewolfism whatever uh and she has to hide that from her um family and friends and um obviously not the easiest thing um it's it is silly but it is fun and the lead is played by the very fetching uh susan blakely yeah from rich man poor man oh yeah that was a very popular tv series back in the day Mm. but it has a couple of other um true horror veterans um we talked about halloween here we get to have uh diane barrows uh from friday the 13th Mm. and the pet shop owner who does the toe biting is john saxon best known for thank you for putting me on the spot thank you very much i don't know i can't remember (laughs) you're not reading the line i know exactly what he looks like he was a nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, lovely. Yeah. And um, he's a good werewolf, creepy and uncreepier. So it, it does have some good interplay between um, Susan Blakely and John Saxon, such as when he uh, tries to charm and explain his condition. He says, I am a werewolf and I need a werewife. And she replies, let me guess, we're going to live in a werehouse. Har, har, <laughs> <Ba-dum>. hardy, har. <laughs> Ooh. Talk about dad jokes. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Um, I love it. But it is a very, very 80s film. If if you're yeah, if if you've already binged through the latest season of um Stranger Things and you want a fill of 80s nostalgia, this, this will do the trick very nicely. Thank you very much. Yeah. And also from our, our members we get a lot of requests for 80s horror. Yeah. And and that's we the do. whole ambiance of this. So and there's no point really us putting up Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street because they're so well known. Yeah. And if you want to get hold of them, chances are you can with the other streaming services. But this one is um, a fun little oddity. 
and you know, well worth checking out. So definitely, yeah. We'll we'll play you a little clip which needs a bit of context. So this is where um, Leslie, the housewife who's bitten, uh, discovers for the first time that she's having these um, werewolfy hair growths and tries to hide it, um, tries to hide from her family in the closet, which of course has a mirror. Last film for the week is Time Walker, a science fiction horror from 1982 that occupies a very special place in my twisted black heart for reasons that we will get oh, to. Oh, lovely. I just must, I must say, I love the premise of this film, uh, mm. combining aliens and ancient Egypt. I think that mummy films were getting a bit dusty and stuffy by mm. this point. Um, obviously, this before we had the mummy revival with the mummy yeah. uh, in the 90s. But by the 80s, I can't remember. There were werewolf comedies. I don't remember any mummy comedies. No, no, um, for sure. And I, no mummy movies. It's, it's a little bit like the, the slow-walking zombies. It's very hard to be scared of a slow-walking mummy. Yeah, I think it was Danny Boyle who made the point that he hated zombie films where they shuffle. Yeah. They should be running. So true zombie films are, according to him at least, uh, things like, well, obviously he himself did, uh, was it 28 Days Later? Yeah. And things such as World War Z and, yeah, basically yeah, mass pylon. Yeah. But this one from 82 had its own universe, so to speak, and... I kind of like it because it, it makes me think of, of um, von Däniken, you know, this pseudo-scientist who ah, claimed yes. that, that the Inca Empire or ancient, uh, you know, times, there were aliens mm -hmm. who came to Earth and, and sperminated humans, so, so which revolved, <laughs> evolved, evolved humankind, so to speak. Uh, yes. And speaking of spermination, this one has a sexploitation connection to one of your favorite films. Ah, yes. Yes, Jason Williams, who starred in Flesh Gordon from '74, mm. lovely. He film. actually, it is, and he didn't. He's not just a pretty face. He actually co-wrote the story together with um, Tom Friedman awesome. for this one. Yeah. So, in its nutshell, uh, an alien, although he looks like a mummy because he's all wrapped up, mm. uh, buried in King Tut's tomb. Uh, American college professor finds him, whisks him back to the United States. Obviously, you know, grave robber, not leaving for the Egyptians. Mm -hmm. uh, and there they examine it. But of course, it all goes horribly wrong uh, because um, the student or one student removes one of these sacred crystals. And then the uh, alien slash mummy starts terrorizing and stalking the college campus and library and um in search of these crystals which are his life-giving force mm. wow so very um threadbare if i can say that plot um didn't get the greatest of reviews but it was called an instant camp classic for its badness it's a good review i uh, think yeah yeah uh effectively they they saw through the premise of somebody trying to turn a mummy movie into a 
kind of a close encounters of the third kind mm. horror film. Uh, some critics were so cruel as to call Time Walker Time Waster. Okay, there you go. <laughs> and uh, it's been done, as so many other films, uh, to death by uh, Mr. Science Theater 3000. Mm. But it does have a certain charm. It is a throwback to a different era. And it wasn't until you know, I started watching and reading it that I realized I have seen this film before, mm. um, almost 40 years before. And what's unique about it, and indulge me here as I digress personal memory, it is the first film that I ever recall uh, watching that was rented on VHS. I remember my family had bought a video machine, and it was a wondrous device which you could time shift Ooh. television programs. You could record them at one time and watch them at another. Or there were movies that you could rent and watch. You didn't have to go to cinema. You could take the movies to your home and watch them when you felt like them. But that sounds times. like a passing fad. That would never ca catch on. <laughs> <laughs> it was wondrous for its time. Yeah. It, it was. Yeah. And you rented them from you know crappy um, shelves in petrol station, gas stations, wow, yeah. because this we didn't have blockbusters. They hadn't yet um, become established enough. And the other thing that kids today don't appreciate is back then... You didn't just rock up to a uh, blockbuster or, in my case, um, a gas station and rent Ghostbusters or The Thing or even f probably you know, Friday the 13th, any of the big Hollywood films because they refused to release their films on VHS, which was going to be the death, they feared, of, of established film industry. Mm, yeah. So the only thing they had were these kind of um, B-movie schlock offerings. But when you're 12 years old, you don't care. Space and time, two dimensions we dream of conquering. But perhaps they have already been conquered, not by man, but a form of intelligence far more evolved and far more powerful, a time walker. Now our time belongs to him. Nothing can stop him, even time. How can you not love that? Shame on you, Leonard Moulton, for giving it a bomb rating and calling yeah, it low-budget He never had a junk. sense of humor, did he? No. It, or maybe the humor has come to it with age. Yeah. But, and even though yes. I must say uh, that uh, Leonard, Leonard Moulton's uh, movie guide was the Bible before the internet. It was. You know, that's where we found all the info until we found... It was the IMDb yes, of until, until we found Michael Weldon's uh, psychotronic... Uh, encyclopedia because that took up all the other films that we really wanted to see yes and Mondo Macabre yeah absolutely so we have nothing more to offer in terms of films that are new on the site but we've got a bit of excitement a double blu-ray um, piece of news to share some infotainment <laughs> yes Yes, absolutely. Um, we are delighted to cooperate with Vinegar Syndrome, which is a great company. And uh, they have finally, after many, many years, managed to, uh, to, have, to, to buy the rights for Thriller, A Cruel Picture, a.k.a. They Call Her One Eye, the film by Buone Vibenius, starring Christina Lindbergh. And they announced it earlier on, uh, but... Now they started selling the, uh, the the very limited edition luxury version of it on combined UHD and Blu-ray. And 
basically sold out this weekend in no time yeah and there's a big debate going on on facebook on 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 whether or not there are more copies around or whatever mm. but they are also releasing a, a less exclusive um release of it with less special extras but we mm-hmm. have uh, been part of it because we were earlier on in this year asked to um, make a behind the scenes featurette for the film mm-hmm. uh, for the bonus material which we did and also to assemble all the bonus materials or the extras in terms of um, posters stills behind the scenes stills um even radio spots um this uh, it's, it's an amazing collection of, yeah. of um things related to uh, thriller or cruel picture including um all new interviews of people some of the people who are to my knowledge have never spoken on the record Indeed. about yeah. uh, their involvement in the film yeah. such as the stunt people for example yeah. apart from obviously cast uh, and regular crew but and not giving too much away, but it even um, included participation by the director himself, the famously shy Boana Vibenius. Indeed, it's his sort of inside story and a little mini autobiography, you can tell it. Mm. it. Yeah, it is. So I'm sure we'll be plugging it um, more and talking about it more in the future. But yes, if you wanted to get your hands on one of these a luxury edition limited number of copies uh uhd blu-ray they're sold out i think they're already popping up on ebay at vastly inflated prices yeah i think at four four times the price already of the uh, original price but hey i i love that people are fans people are collectors and and this is what we always talk about on cult picks we love films whatever media and the fact that uh, Thriller, A Cruel Picture is finally available to buy and uh, properly restored. In a 4K in, version, that's true, yes. In a 4K version, yeah. looking its best. So if you can't catch it in cinema and it doesn't show very often apart from the Odd Festival, uh, you can now watch it at home. Yes, it's it's amazing. And uh, might also show up in movie theaters later on. Hopefully, fingers yeah. crossed. Yeah, absolutely. But that's not all. There's more Blu-ray goodness. Indeed. Um, you and I were involved in the production of a Swedish film called Svart Circle or Black Circle, directed by Adrian Garcia Bugliano, who is a mm. Spanish-Argentinian-Mexican director and really talented one. And we, we, um, we shot this a couple of years ago and it has been doing the festival rounds just before uh, the pandemic, actually. And it was released in a limited theatrical release in Mexico on the new year. And now finally the uh, luxurious Mexican Blu-ray is out. And I must say I'm extremely proud. And I was just in touch with Adrian Bogliano yesterday about the uh, limited edition also containing a CD with the soundtrack for the film. Yes. Composed by yours truly. Mm. And it's a beautiful edition, not least I like little touches, like the way they're color coordinating all the discs. Yes. Um, so there are three three different discs, one, one CD <laughs> and two Blu-ray ones. And just looks great. And uh, if you want to get your hands on that, it's even more limited than Thriller. So uh, look, f- look for it on the interwebs. Yes. Well, 
um, since we're not going to be streaming um, either of those films on Cult Picks, at least we could give people a taster, perhaps, of that by playing uh, some of the music. Let's do that. And that concludes this week's Cult Picks Radio, WCPX 66.6. With me, your host, Django Nudo. And me, this month, Au revoir. Au revoir. <laughs>